Welcome to the Disruptor Series Podcast, 3% Conference Special Edition. We're celebrating the 10th anniversary of 3% with incredible guests and powerful conversations with people who are disrupting business, culture, and life. Here are your hosts, Asha Davis and Rob Schwartz. Welcome to our listeners. We are very excited about today's episode. We are partnering with the 3% Conference as part of the next decade of disruption. Today, we have a very special guest. Ashton Womack is an accomplished comedian and comedy writer. He currently works on The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, and he served as a researcher, producer, and writer on the show. And he was recently identified by Comedy Central as one of the 14 comics you should know. And actually, he's featured on the new season of Comedy Central stand-up, so make sure you guys check that out. He also has a degree in mass communication from the University of Houston, where he also studied advertising. You guessed it. So, Ashton, I'm so glad I know you. Welcome to the show. Oh, thanks for having me. Oh, my God. What an intro. Jesus. <laughs> Sorry, you can record it, use it for your bio. <laughs> I mean, I know I sent you all that to say, but thank you for saying it. <laughs> I mean, I Googled you. You know, you're, you're out here. You know? <laughs> Tell the people I paid you to say all those things. I appreciate it. And our listeners to the Disruptor series know that I do stand-up comedy as my side gig. And so I've had the privilege of performing with Ashton on a few shows around New York City. So I can definitely vouch for his funny. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. I can also vouch for your funny. We've oh, done oh thanks. You know, that actually means more coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've done a lot of basement comedy shows. Right. <laughs> So Ashton, two projects that you worked on, both The Daily Show as well as the 2021 Grammys were nominated for Emmys this year. The Grammys nominated? Yeah, the Grammys was nominated for an Emmy. You know, people people try to win Grammys. You're writing on the Grammys. Like, that is crazy. (laughs) This guy doesn't even know. He's doing so much. So (laughs) just wanted to extend a huge congratulations to you for that. So I'm actually just curious, what was kind of the biggest difference between writing for The Daily Show versus writing for the Grammys? Well, the biggest difference was with the Grammys, I like listening to music. The, The Daily Show... I don't like politics, but I, you know, I have the same feeling towards politics as everyone does. It's like part of your life. And like, I use, I use jokes for politics to like help me process it. So writing for a daily show is more of like how I process the world. Writing for Grammys was just a fun, wholehearted, like experience, making jokes about the baby, making jokes about, you know, getting to see Cardi B and Meg Thee Stallion perform WAP. The Grammys was very... Both shows are, I love, I love writing. I love writing for The Daily Show. But Grammys was, uh, that was more of a fun, super like, you know, fun project, Daily Show, always fun. No, no complaints, but you know, it requires a little bit more knowledge of the world, knowledge of what's going on and like processing it in a way that makes people understand like, okay, this is what's happening. I don't want to leave no one feeling negative from news. Like you, you read all the news, and you're like, man, that sucks. You want to kind of like give people the news in a way that's like uh, gives them some sort of levity or hope. Right. So uh, the difference is the Grammys is just slinging fun jokes. The Daily Show, I probably put a little bit more time, thought and like effort in writing jokes. 
that makes sense. And is, is Trevor Noah kind of a, a great dude to work with or does he suck? We won't tell him. No, no, Trevor, Trevor you're watching this right now. You're awesome. <laughs> Thank you for pulling me out of poverty. I appreciate every month. No, but uh, Trevor's awesome. He truly, I'm not even saying that because he's my boss. I will gladly admit when a boss sucks, Trevor is awesome. Oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. We, we've talked a little bit about amazing leadership and it definitely shows. When we talk about, you know, The Daily Show with Trevor Noah, you know, it's really continuing a legacy of really elevating truth and helping audiences understand these complex concepts. I like the way that you put it, Ashton, a little bit earlier in terms of writing for The Daily Show is kind of how you process the news. That's a really interesting perspective and, and way to think about it, because at least for myself, when I watch shows like the Daily Show, it helps me process the news because it, even more so than the actual news, if you will. You know what I mean? That's great to hear. Yeah, and, and I appreciate it, you know, and, and it's, it's interesting because I think that it's able to really talk about these complex concepts in a way that, again, I just don't think that the mainstream news has really figured out yet. In fact, actually, you know, more and more people are actually turning into these late night shows, especially when you think about, you know, younger audiences, they're turning into these late night shows like The Daily Show and, and Seth Meyers and Stephen Colbert, you know, to actually stay up to date on these issues rather than turning on, you know, CNN and, and MSNBC. Do you think that adding these elements of comedy to help explain the news is the key to getting people to care more and, and why or why not? Well, in my own personal story, I feel like when Jon Stewart, when I was in college, watching Jon Stewart personally did get me into politics. Right. Only because he made it for our specific millennial time, you know, in 08, dating myself, but he made politics, he, he, he kind of bridged the gap for young people to politics. And so it helped, that personally helped me. Right. But now that I'm older, I'm like, yeah, not even though I work for the same show that got me into politics, I would also say it is a great bridge, but nothing beats doing your own research. Nothing. We are not the fourth estate. <laughs> you don't want to get your news from us because at the end of the day, we're still a 30 minute show. That's like we have our own, not necessarily agenda, but like just like in a newspaper, you have limited space and you can't talk about everything. And so right. sometimes we just talk about the most, the biggest news stories and it's truncated. It's 30 minutes. So right. I would say people should watch The Daily Show or late night shows that talk about politics after they've read up on the news. That way they, mm, that's cool. you can get like a, just different perspectives or like, or at least, you know, you read the news and you're like, man, this sucks. But, you know, you come to us and we're like, but look, you see, that's dumb. That's dumb. And that's dumb. And give you a little bit of levity from the news. But uh, I, I appreciate if people use late night shows like John Oliver to get themselves into liking politics. I, I like that it's a gateway drug into politics. <laughs> gateway, but, yeah. Yeah. I, I would also follow that up with go read your own news. <laughs> <laughs> That's great advice. But, you know, sometimes the news can be kind of depressing, you know, and it's like it's interesting because I was reading an article the other day about the concept of negativity bias and the fact that a lot of mainstream news, whether you're reading it online or whether you're watching it, are really prioritizing negative stories because something in the human brain tends to care more about the negative than the positive. And it's it's interesting because when you talk about adding these elements of levity, as, as you put it, at least for folks like me, it does kind of make it easier to process. You know what I mean? 
Yeah, absolutely. No, totally. I'm in news files all day. I'm like reading. It could get, it, it can get really, it can, it can get you. I can only, I can totally, I'm someone who, you know, has to find my own breath of fresh air because I'm always like absorbing this bad story, climate change, shoot school, shoot. Like you, you go through these like topics that are like, is anything going to change? What if, this is day, every single day. And I do think that we do live in a kind of like, we, we look at, everything from a negative perspective. And I had to take upon myself to like, try to, and I try to pitch it to the show sometimes, but like positive news stories about like technology. We're always being scared of like, you know, drones and all the advancing technology that, but there's also medical technology that's advancing. When people find out about, it will bring them levity. Like when you read about cancer treatments that are truly showing promise, there's so many news stories out there that, I do think that we should give more of the good more light because we only talk about the negative. And it's, I don't know, man, that fear porn, I don't know what it is. Fear but- porn. I, yeah, that's 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 a good way to put it, fear porn. It is kind of it is kind of weird. And speaking of kind of some of the the negative stuff or or the stuff that's in the news, obviously there's there's a lot going on about race and diversity. Some of it is negative, some of it is positive, you know, and in, in, in terms of you know what's going on in the world today. And definitely the Daily Show is no stranger to diversity, obviously. Not only is Trevor the only mainstream late night host that's black, you know, and I'm saying mainstream, there are there are a couple other on, on streaming platforms, but the show also clearly has one of the most diverse teams. When we look at, you know, your correspondents, you know, whether it's, you know, Ronnie Chang or obviously Hassan Minaj used to work on, on the previous version, obviously Roy Wood Jr., who's one of my faves, you know, um, as well as Dulce Sloan and, and wonderful women on the team as well. You know, you, you don't necessarily see that on, on all of the shows. So that's definitely something that that I appreciate, but I wish that it wasn't so rare, um, especially, you know, with with other shows like, for example, John Oliver, which I'm a huge fan of. Mm-hmm. But as I said, when it comes to this genre as a whole, there is this inequity, not only when it comes to people of color, but also when it comes to women. And these are things that are, you know, really important to, you know, the 3% organization and, and the conference that, that we're looking to talk about today. So I'm curious as to why do you think that these inequities are existing, particularly in this genre of, of entertainment? Is there a reason, you know, and and almost more importantly, do you think that there's a solution to this? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Well, there's definitely, I mean, I feel like the reasoning is the same reasoning why there's no uh, diverse CEOs. I mean, it's growing, but like there's no, there's like three, four, what, what is it, like five black billionaires or there's inequity all across the board in every avenue of society. So I believe the same reasoning why uh, breaking news this country was, you know, founded on racism and it promoted one group of people and that we're still feeling the ramifications of that, of that today in areas where you would think that we've, we've seen progress, but actually no. In entertainment industry, you still need someone to pull you up. And if no one's willing to take a chance on any black, brown, women, LGBTQ members, if no one, if no one brings you in, there's no way in. Right. These gatekeepers bring in who they want. And if we're not part of the group that they want, we're not part of the group. They just keep it for the, for like lack of better wording. It's just blatant racism. It's just, they right. pushed us out, kept us out. And we finally entered a phase. I hate to say it. Whenever the George Floyd protest went on, 
that was when there was a huge push to find literally quote unquote diversity. And it, you know, I think every corporation was doing that. You, they all saw we need to support Black-owned businesses. We need to have more diverse staff, uh, diverser staff in the writing rooms, the executives' offices. That's like the problem. There's no executives that look like us. And right. the more I'm seeing, the more we have executives and people that look like us, the more you'll see us in those rooms. The more I, I slowly fit, see it happening. It's definitely still slow. And it's definitely still the balance, the tipping scales is still balanced to white males. So it's just a slow, it's, it's, it's just a, we're still combating racism. We're still dealing with glass ceilings. We're still, it's still a long fight to go. Yeah. I do think that with the, I, I am positive. I am hopeful because luckily I am in like these rooms and I am seeing more people look like me. And I know that in my world, I get opportunity to, pitch other people to for jobs. And I do everything I can to get people who I know who aren't typically in these fields or, or, or not allowed to, who think they've been like locked out of these areas. I try to bring them in. Yeah. It's just, I think about us, the more we, more we rise up, the more we'll start seeing more faces, the more we're vocal, loud, saying you need to have more diverse voices that represent all of America, the better your programming will be, the more relatable it'll be, because we're all... America is I is literally a it's a rainbow it's you know yeah. it's not just one color but I'm, I'm pretty hopeful to be honest that, that's great to hear you know and it, it's interesting because we were talking in in one of our other episodes about some of the themes that you just brought up and and it's interesting because it's sort of the opposite is happening in in certain cases. So for example, the same way that as Black people, because we don't often see ourselves in the industries that we're in, so, you know, yourself in in writer's rooms, in entertainment, you know, paid (laughs) entertainment gigs, you know, and, you know, myself in, in the advertising industry, you know, my predisposition, just like you said, is to bring on more people that look like me. And the tricky part is that that's also also what the white guys have been doing, yeah. you know, yeah. particularly, you know, again, in, in both of our fields. And it's interesting because Rob, my co-host, kind of brought this up and it, it, it's interesting coming from him. Obviously, he's a white guy, you know, and, you know, he talked about the fact that after reading Ibram X. Kendi's book, essentially, that there was a notion that he learned from that, which was as a white person, you can't always hire the people that look like you and you have to make a conscious effort not to do that, right? Which is a shift that conscious or subconscious that that's just what kept happening. That was what was perpetuating the cycle. And so even the most sort of well-meaning person could, you know, take a step back and take a look at their team. And it's just a bunch of dudes that look like them. And that was happening across the board in, you know, as I said, both writers rooms, as well as within, you know, advertising agencies across varieties of departments, you know. And so it's almost like, they need to adopt the opposite attitude, which is hire people that look like us. And when folks that look like us get into these positions, we need to bring more in. Because I think that, as you so rightly said, if you don't have a connect, you know, you're not going to get in, right? Yeah, absolutely. Literally, my connect was Trevor Noah. That's how I got in, like how I got wow. the writer's room. I mean, I had, I had to, I got my foot in the door at the research department, but it was talking to Trevor and proving to Trevor, telling Trevor like what I wanted, wanted to do, writing some jokes for the Grammys and him thinking they were good. 
And once he, once I got hired, he hired me for the Grammys because he appreciated, I wasn't even a joke. I wasn't even a writer at the time or a, t- a TV writer, quote unquote. I was a researcher. I was just turning in, I would do segments and I, w- I would produce pieces for him to joke about. And then I would give my own jokes and he would, he liked them. And it was at that point where he was like, I'm going to pretty much bypass I'm going to hire you. I'm going to hire you for Grammy and I'm going to hire you for The Daily Show. So I had to literally go to the highest. I, I got lucky and had to go to the highest person in charge to the HNIC to get <laughs> to get in. So, and that was my end personally. And it's like everyone's not even going to get that opportunity. Even that was a privilege that I, I was able to, to get. But, yeah, I think that's like a it, the reason why the, I, I'm not an no expert on like, uh, you know, a lot of things. But uh, I think that. It's an argument between equity and equality. It's like you're going to, in order, we need to, equality is one thing, but we need to have equity. And in order to have equity, you have to, one, understand the landscape. And in understanding that landscape, you have to know, okay, I have to work double these, I have to do twice as more to make sure for the for this group to have to have equality to have them to make sure that it's actually even and equitable because they've been we've we've gone so long not allowing them into these spaces we now have to work twice as hard to bring them into these spaces to me that's just like the battle of equity yeah. you have to literally work harder for a group that you've not given the same access to um, opportunities to yeah, I mean, what a great example of, of leadership. Definitely can relate to that in, in parallels in my career and, and things that I've seen where sometimes, you know, the next person up that you're supposed to go to may not be the person that can always or is always willing to to help you. Sometimes it takes an amazing leader like someone like Trevor or, you know, other leaders, you know, that I've worked with to actually be like, you know what, forget the process you know, you're coming with me, yeah. you know, and, yeah. and, uh, you know, that's definitely the type of leader that, that I would, uh, strive to be as well, because, you know, some people could just be behind their glass door and be like, you know, our time is up. Why are you talking to me? Yeah. You know? Work here, get out. <laughs> you know? But it, it's really interesting because I, you know, and, and for our listeners that may not have gotten, uh, some of the references that Ashton, uh, just mentioned, you know, HNIC was the name of a popular rap album by, uh, a group called, <laughs> Mob Deep, one of their artists, uh, Prodigy, was in that group. And uh, it means head neighbor in charge. So, uh, you know, just. Yes. Yeah. I gave you guys homework to do. Sorry. It's a great album. Um, so, 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 Ashton, it's really interesting because these parallels between, you know, your life on The Daily Show, your life as a comedian, your life in this entertainment industry, and, you know, corporate America and advertising. And, you know, I know that you you studied advertising in, in university as well, you know, to a degree. And it's interesting, like, what lessons do you think could be learned from The Daily Show or even kind of comedy that can be applied to, to corporate America? I, I think, though, well, the lessons I've learned is that one, for, for my personal journey, I would say the lesson I've learned is that being myself has been the best tool that I possibly have and and dimming my light and dimming and go, walking in all the, the the code switching and the the I got it I have to be this certain way I, I don't do that anymore I'm what makes me what what's made me special was me my my normal self and I think a lot of times I think everyone dims their light to be accepted into certain areas and it dims their ideas it dims what they really want to say and I just I, I think that 
it's kind of built into corporate America and bypassing that. The Daily Show has allowed me to be my full black self. And that is just not to be like, you know, but that means allowing me to be myself, not having to speak a language that is unfamiliar to me to fit in. I can sound like me and people understand me at my job. I can say certain references and maybe you don't get it, but someone else understands head neighbors in charge. And what Daily Show and doing comedy has helped me in like corporate world is it has allowed me to not be afraid to be myself. Because when I'm fully myself, I've learned that, oh, I have good ideas that I enjoy. And when I share them with other people, they seem to enjoy them too. And anytime I'm like not being myself, anytime I'm like feeling like I, I, I'm faking the funk, I don't have any, my ideas, you can tell, they stink. They come off as contrived. They come off as I'm trying to be something that I'm not. And so I will say that for me, uh, being able to be my full authentic self is what has helped the biggest lesson I've learned. And I'm going to take that to other places when I'm working at, when I work for HBO, when I work for A24 or Marvel, I'm still going to be myself. I, I love that. I love that. And that, that's definitely paralleled with, with corporate, you know, definitely, you know, at least I'm dating myself too, but, you know, earlier in my career, which was about, you know, a decade ago or so, I've been in, been in this industry for a little while, you know, I, I definitely felt like I had to sort of play a role in order to fit in. And, and part of that was because I didn't really see a lot of people like me, but the other element of that was, you know, as a, you know, Black woman, I come from a Jamaican family, you know, that's kind of what I was taught. Your family, and, and I've, I've learned that this is not unique to the Black experience, you know, Hispanic folks and, and Asian folks also kind of experience this as well, where your family is basically ingraining into you, you know, you got to be like this, you got to be like this, you got to be like this, you know, and I think that that's like an added pressure that I don't think a lot of people talk about. And, you know, at least for me, you know, over the past few years where I've, you know, as you said, brought my full self to work, you know, even though, you know, sometimes a lot of times I'm the only one that looks like me in the room. It does wonders for my mental health. I didn't actually realize how much energy I was expending pretending to be somebody else for more than half the day, you yeah. know? Yeah. And like, I, it's, it's just so interesting that you're saying that because I I would have thought that you know you know obviously my dreams of, of getting paid to do comedy haven't quite worked out yet but uh, you know <laughs> <Don't worry. laughs> but you know I, I think you know I, I always thought that in in that in the entertainment industry that 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 code switching was wouldn't necessarily be needed you know so it's interesting to hear that that parallel exists as well I mean, it absolutely exists, especially when you think about how little of us there are in these right. fields, that when you get there, you are, the show has a voice and the voice is being written by white voices. Right. And if you want to get anything on this show, if you want to be contribute to this show, you're going to have to speak in the language of the show, which is being currently built by white voices. And if you can't keep up with these white voices, or if you can't get the references, or if you can't make the executives who laugh, who choose the sentences, who ultimately choose everything that's being said, if you can't make them understand your joke or, or speak a language that they understand, then you not going to get anything on the show. So it kind of almost makes you go back to being like, okay, I have to, I, I have to sound like a certain way. I have to talk like this because there's no people like us choosing, uh, understanding our language. 
but then, it, like I said, the Daily Show. I am. I, I don't know if it, if I'm lucky because Trevor is a black voice who understands how I talk and who understands how I joke, and I don't need to necessarily mold myself into a, a, a version of myself that's palatable for the show. I can just be my full self. Is so, but yes, these things do exist even in this environment because you are dealing with white executives who don't really understand who are still learning and they're trying to understand. But at the end of the day, you, you can't inject software into people's brains. And just, you, you wish, I wish I could inject the software into someone's brains, make them understand. It just doesn't work like that. They're going to, it's a lifetime of learning and knowledge. What they really need is representation yeah. at the higher levels. That's what they need. And, uh, but yeah, you definitely still, it's definitely still a code switching environment at every level, no matter what, it's still definitely here, but I, I, me personally, I can't do it. I just yeah. <laughs> so you also got tapped as a writer as well as on-air talent for the Daily Show's podcast, Beyond the Scenes, with everyone's friend, Warwood Jr. And one thing that I really love about that is it gives listeners an inside look at how folks like you, producers and writers, really use comedy to tackle a variety of these, you know, again, complex topics. But it kind of goes behind the scenes, as you said. It gives you more than just, you know, that that 28 minutes of TV that we all see on the actual show. And so it's interesting to me because, you know, even you have an episode on there about being Black in corporate America, which I thought, you know, was was really insightful as well. You know, can you tell us a little bit more about that podcast and, and also just a little bit about, you know, how your team is able, like, day after day to just really use comedy in such a meaningful way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. The podcast is one of my, it's, it's it's so fun to film. Chelsea, my friend Chelsea, she actually pitched the Black and Corporate America piece, and she came in with a wealth of knowledge. The way we come up with comedy on it, when it with specifically those pieces, we literally get together and we just talk it out. We just have, we have a podcast, a behind the scenes podcast. We kind of have a podcast of just talking on ideas and just being like, you ever notice that you have to do this? You have to code switch. You have to, uh, do we, we have the conversations and in those conversations, jokes, we're not like, we're not serious. We're not like, Oh, let me, let me tell you about, we're not like overly intellectual. We're not making anything super complicated. We're talking about our experiences and you know, we're people when you talk about your experiences and where a lot of us are comics, we're very comedic oriented. Like we said, we process things through jokes. So we just have, we sit up literally every day, Monday through Thursday, and just, I guess that's not every day, that's four days. <laughs> it's like literally four out of seven days. Right, that's like <laughs> most days. <laughs> we, we have a conversation that's just like very deep, meaningful. We bring our feelings into it and we type it out. And that's literally how all the, like those deeper big pieces come up. Yeah. It's is a conversation. It's always personal experiences being brought into these pieces that lend themselves to funny jokes, lends themselves to like, oh yeah, because what you go through, what I've gone through, 90% chance it's not a unique experience. Right. 90% chance other people have gone through it. And it's just a, a blessing to be able to be a mouthpiece for other people who've experienced the same kinds of traumas or just experiences that I've had. So uh yeah, we just come up with jokes because we talk it out. 
really. It's interesting. I I definitely encourage our listeners to look that up, whether it's on YouTube or wherever you listen to podcasts, because it's really interesting. And and Ashton, the the episodes that you're on, you know, the one about racial injustice, you know, and you talk about some really personal stories that, you know, I'm not going to give all of it away, but just really profound and, and the way that you're the way that you talk about these things and and really try to focus on solutions and how can we get past things, you know what I mean? And, you you know, you're not, as, as Roy said, you're not overly, you're very private about certain things and and how open you were even about things like mental health. You know, I strongly encourage our our listeners to to check those out. There was also another episode about policing and it was called Copaganda, I think, you know, again, like just really, really interesting takes on these tough topics, you know, and, and somehow you guys managed to, to crack jokes in there and make it seem interesting, you know, so, so kudos to you guys. Oh, super. Thank you. Seriously. It's cathartic for us to like do it. It's, it's honestly feels more therapeutic for us. You kind of forget that like, oh yeah, people are going to watch this. I was just doing, yeah, I was just doing that because I didn't want to go to therapy this week. So. <laughs> but y'all enjoyed it. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know, well, in addition to being an awesome writer, researcher, producer, you know, you're, of course, an accomplished stand-up comic. You know, I, I talked at the top of the show. I've had the, the pleasure of seeing you live a few times, and, and you're amazing. You know, uh, you were recently featured uh, on Comedy Central. And in your set, you have a really great joke about <laughs> what to do when your parents have different political views than you <laughs> that I thought was really funny. You know, it, is there any chance, you know, you might be able to give our listeners a bit of a treat? Would you would you be open to doing a little piece of that bit for us? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to do a bit, but I can definitely explain. Yeah. I can definitely <laughs> it's hard to get into the... Uh, yeah, like, I know. <laughs> Could you, okay, tell us some jokes. You, know? <laughs> right? you give me the light. You give me the light when my minute's up. No, but, uh, it's, very, it's a very simple joke. Yeah. It's just about, the, the gist of it is, it's about different political, the, the generational gap of political opinions between your parents. Your parents are gonna have different politics. Just today, this is me and my mom were having a very strong discussion about her views on Dave Chappelle special and my views on Dave Chappelle special. And it's like, but that's, um, we have different opinions and I've learned to not get angry at my parents for having different opinions because you know, it's just, it's just what it is. It's a generational gap. Like I know the reason why I don't get angry is like my dad, I know my dad's not going to get, he's not going to get genders. He's not going to get, he's not going to get intersectionality. He's not going to get new genders. He barely understands new milks. So there's <laughs> no way, there's no way he's going to get genders. I, I, I've spent way too much time arguing with him about almond milk for him to understand like new genders. You know, uh, <laughs> he's always like, uh, what happened to regular milk? And I'm, I'm like, bro, there's a spectrum of milks and you, you, you can choose the milk you want. You don't have to be lactose intolerant. That's the, that's, <laughs> that's a punchline. People listen to it. You can follow me on Instagram. It's porn actually. And not. <laughs> no, or you can follow him on Instagram, follow comedy central on that's YouTube. Well. You can see all his amazing nice videos. quality. Uh, <laughs> A nice quality setup, you know, I, I probably shouldn't have did that as, as a comic, you know, I really, you know, but, but, you know, just one last question before we move on to your journey here, but, you know, how do you see the way the news is communicated changing over the next decade? What changes do you see happening in both the late night talk show space, as well as, you know, in the stand up comedy space? 
Oh, well, regular news, I think regular news is go- like, it will always exist because there's always corporate media pouring money into a jet. Like they need, they need people to say the things they want them to say. Yeah. Where I think it's changing is a rise of independent media outlets where people don't want necessarily want to listen from uh, news organizations that have agendas that they're trying to, whether it's a right wing agenda or a left wing agenda, some people just want facts or just like, can you just give me the, the info? And usually what's what's happening is independent media sources are actually rising up. And that's kind of becoming the, re- to, to me, yeah. I might be hopeful, mm-hmm. but I'm hoping independent news sources are the next phase of getting our information out because having uh, two 24-hour completely opposite news sources that interpret facts completely separately, it's harmful to our society. Right. So I'm hoping that changes. When when it comes to late night, I think late night's changing in the sense that, you know, we're online. We're we're increasingly online society. And wherever online goes is where late night's going to go. Studio audiences, how long will that last? Who knows? Right. A lot of people connect with Twitch streamers. So you never know. The, the next late night star might be on Twitch. Wow. It might be on online person. That's where I personally think that things are heading. Maybe not this year, maybe not next year, but a good set, maybe five, five yeah. years ago. It's going to be a lot more online news sources. That that makes sense. You know what I mean? And, and it's, you know, we're talking about the next decade. You know, I think probably to your point, the biggest disruption to late night in the next decade is that it's not going to be at late night. <laughs> you know? Yeah, absolutely. Literally, Jin, that is a beautiful sentence. It is not going to be late night. Right. People don't watch late night now. They watch it on they, our show gets views. People watch a daily show at 12 noon the next day. You no longer have to stay up at 10 to watch, you know. To watch, exactly. So, you know, we're going to move on to your journey and, and talk a little bit about how you got here, Ashton. So, you know, when did you know, how old were you? What was going on in your life when you realized that a job in comedy is is what you wanted to do with, with your life? A, uh, fairly, 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 fairly young. Mm-hmm. I grew up watching Def Jam comedy with my family. Oh, yeah. As soon as I saw Def Jam comedy, when I was like, I'm talking like, it's one of my early memories, like three to four, just something imprinted in my head of sitting on the couch with my mom, my uncle, my grandma, my aunt, and them all just laughing at Martin Lawrence, mm-hmm. laughing at Chris Rock. That energy, that vibe of them like, ha, 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 really imprinted on me. And then from that point on, I was a class clown. As soon as someone asked me what I wanted to be, I told him comedic actor. Oh. I want to be like Chris Tucker. I want to be like the, ma- the movie The Mask came out. Oh, when I was- Jim Carrey. Yeah, when Jim Carrey came out, it basically that was the moment. When The Mask came out, I knew I wanted to do whatever Jim Carrey did. Uh, That's cool. That's cool. So not Ace Ventura, Pet Detective, it was The Mask. <laughs> well, there was that one part where he popped his head out the window. But I was like, I want to do that. I want to do that. That's fine. Let's do that. <laughs> and do you think that someone could be born funny or can it be taught? Comedy can be taught. I mean, comedy is so, it's a wide spectrum of what comedy is. So like there's naturally funny people. There's people who are super intelligent who just understand irony and understand just, they know how to be clever because they're so smart. So like, they may not be like, they may not make you laugh personally, but you read their writings and you're like, you're a genius. Uh, why aren't you funny in real life? And it's just because they're in the book. So I truly think that uh, funny is just a, a spectrum that we all, everyone, 
everyone can find their own funny. I, I think everyone has a little bit of funny in them. Uh, where they cultivate it, it's on them. But born funny, not yeah. I guess in, in the sense, I think everybody's born funny. I think there's every, there's funny in everybody. You, you're a human being. You got to stay happy somehow. Well, you know, we hope so, you know, but let's not incur. Not everybody can do stand up. Yeah, I didn't say that. Because <laughs> you go to these shows and they're like, oh, let me get on set. Like, no, you're I, not I, gonna. Uh, to clarify, you might be clarify. You might be funny to yourself, but <laughs> don't, I, will boo you. I, will, I will boo you at your show. <laughs> this is just a fun one. What were some of the jobs that you had before, you know, you really started getting paid to use your, your humor? I had a lot of jobs. <laughs> I was a cable guy. A cable uh, guy. <laughs> I saved up. I literally, I well, I well, first I used to work for when I graduated college, I worked as a branch strategist at the Department of Health. Oh wow. Uh, yeah, but that was paying me no money. And uh so I, I wanted to, it was there that I was like, I'm just gonna go to New York and do stand-up, but I needed money. That's so I and became a, a cable guy. It was the worst cable guy you ever have. You must have been fun though, going to people's house. I wasn't at all. I was. I, was, I hated every moment of it. I was the worst one. It, you know the cable guy who'd be like, he says he's gonna be here to three to six. I was the guy who showed up at seven because I, I hated it all. But uh, yeah, cable guy, coffee shops. I'm talking. I did a lot of advertising jobs. Like I, I did a lot of copywriting when I first moved to New York. Mm -hmm. uh, I used my degree to get like two copywriting jobs. That's dope. That didn't pan out well because I don't spell good. So <laughs> I honestly, I, for two years in New York, I didn't even have a job. I was just struggling being a starving artist legitimately. But yeah, Cable Guy was probably the most, before I made it or quote unquote, whatever, before I got a job at Daily Show, Cable Guy was probably though, you did that? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't have guessed that. I wouldn't have guessed that. Well, tell us a little bit about your first day, you know, at The Daily Show. I know you didn't start as a writer, but just your first day, you know, walking in. What was that like? Oh, it was awesome. It's breathtaking. It's mind blowing. It's you're at the you're at an institution. You're like a, literally like there's history on the walls and you're like, wow, I'm a part of this history. So it becomes it does become like over not overwhelming, but just like overwhelming with joy. The studio. There's literally, you know, it's just, it's, it's awesome. It's an awesome place to be. You see Trevor Noah walking down. You're like, that's, that's Trevor Noah. You see, <laughs> I think my first day, Hillary Clinton was downstairs. What? Yeah. And I was like, that's the lady who called me a super predator. <laughs> so it's a, it's super, it's a super intense experience. It's awesome. It's like, it really feels like you're in the comedy Olympics. Like, that's wow. Cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's dope. That, imposter syndrome did you feel that you felt imposter syndrome feel it right now i'm like you shouldn't be you should be talking to roy wood jr you shouldn't be talking to me <laughs> <laughs> well you know definitely our listeners don't think you're an imposter you know i think you, you've been doing some pretty awesome awesome stuff you know you. <laughs> i'm curious how does the team decide on what stories to focus on every day usually the world kind of puts it in front of our face. We're like, Nicki Minaj's cousin's friend's test. <laughs> you got to talk about this guy. So, so usually it's not that hard to pick what we're talking about. <laughs> Gonna be honest. But uh, and but the other part is, is um, we're allowed to bring in stories that mean, you, you know, we're all human beings. We have things yeah. that actually affect us. So I don't even pitch, if something, I, I don't pitch random 
I, oh, I don't just like, let me check New York Times, what's happening? No, I wait for something to really affect my heart because I know then the writing, it will actually be meaningful. I'll actually write something. I have thoughts and opinions and like emotions behind it and I have a perspective. So usually with our bigger pieces, it's someone feels a way, that's how we'll pick. That's how we'll pick certain things. But for, yeah, for the most part, the news tells us Kyrie Irving lets us know he doesn't want to get vaccinated. And we're like, well, we're about to make fun of you, Mr. Flat Earther. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, that's how it goes. Yeah, that, I mean, that makes that makes total sense. You know, in our last question in, in this part of, of the interview, I'm just curious because many people might not know that not all comedy writers are stand up comics. You know, yeah. as you mentioned, funny comes in different forms. Right. And so, you know, obviously this is is something that you know, you excel at from a stand-up perspective and a writing perspective. So, you know, how does that background in stand-up influence, you know, your writing on something like The Daily Show, which feels very different? Well, the, my background in stand-up makes me feel overconfident. Mm. Stand-up comics think that they're the end-all, be-all of comedy, when in reality, sketch, improv, just humorous writing. It's, it's, it's a spec, like I said, it's a spectrum of writing. A lot of the people on, the writers on The Daily Show are not stand-ups. A good half of them aren't. They're just funny people. Many people don't have to do stand-up to know how to write a funny joke. That is, that's just, that's facts. Yeah. No, that, you know, again, makes total sense. So as we do with all of our episodes, we are going to leave our listeners with a piece of advice. And so, Ashton, what advice would you give to leaders looking to get better at communicating truths and complex topics to their teams, to their clients, or even on the behalf of brands? What advice would I give to leaders? I would get it to a leader. I would say, be open because you are one, you are one human being who does not have all the, you, as a leader, you got to leave the ego truly at the door and be open to everyone's feelings, thoughts, and ideas. I, I know that everything won't be useful, but you do need to listen. And because there's so many voices that have not been heard from and have good perspective on something that you don't have perspective on. So be open to listening to that and just being gen like a genuine person and surround yourself with knowledgeable people. But yeah, I, I would say open your ears, understand it. What I will want to be as a leader is understanding that, sure, I'm a leader, but I'm a member of the team first and foremost. Awesome. I think if you come from a place of being a member of the team and not the head of the team, you'll probably have more synchronicity, more like just people will treat you better, not, not necessarily better, but like they'll feel more comfortable around you to give ideas that they would normally be like, uh, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to upset them. I don't want to make her think that I'm coming for her job. I'll just, I'll just be open and be a team member before a leader. And that, that would be my advice. That's awesome advice. And definitely that's the type of leader that, that I would want to work with as well. So <laughs> really appreciate that. And Ashton, thank you so much for joining us today on this special episode of the Disruptor Series. This has been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, or as the kids say, chop it up, you know. Uh, <laughs> it was lovely chopping it up with you. Thank you for Seriously, this is great. I appreciate I appreciate it. What a great combo. No, you guys have a great thing going on. And this is I, I'm more I'm looking forward to seeing all the all this come to fruition. 
Awesome. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, make sure you visit www.disruptorseries.com and follow us on LinkedIn and Instagram. All right, Ashton, thank you so much. Well, thank you. Appreciate you. Thank you for listening to the Disruptor Series podcast, Adweek's Agency Podcast of the Year. Craving more disruption? Visit us at tbwashydayny.com.